This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Are human beings smart? Like, would you say that we are the most intelligent and ethical beings on the planet? I mean, take a look at all that we suffer through, right? Wars and climate change, cyber attacks. Look at what we do to each other. We often don't see the problems until it's too late. Take artificial intelligence, for instance. There are certainly a lot of issues with it, right? Lots of concerns that are being raised, and yet we still seem to be moving full steam ahead. The problem might be that we're just too smart for our own good, that we don't use our intelligence for shared ethical connections. That's an interesting idea. It's one that our next guest has been exploring. It is Dr. Richard Van Oort, who's a professor of English literature at the University of Victoria. Well, Richard, thank you so much for joining us today. I'd love it if we could start, if I could quote you back to you. You say in your piece that you've written, we are the only species on earth for whom intelligence is also an ethical liability. That's kind of scary stuff, Richard. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it's, it's only scary if you think of uh, language and information in a certain way. And I think in our technological age, we've become uh, kind of accustomed perhaps too easily to seeing uh, language and speech and communication as simply about communicating facts or concepts about the world. And we've stood, we stood back, as it were, from understanding speech as always coming from a particular person, and that person has feelings and emotions, and that language is really about much more communication, is about much more than just communicating facts. Right. And, yeah. I was going to say then, so where does, how do we fit artificial intelligence into all this? Does AI understand that? Well, I would say no, not at all. I mean, AI is very good at, at uh, you know, reproducing factual human, human speech, or at least giving the illusion that that's what it is doing. Uh, because actually, you know, when you look at something like GPT, uh, often it gets the facts wrong. But that in itself is not the problem. The problem is the... Uh, this idea that uh, human intelligence is simply about delivering information about the world, and the faster you do that, the more intelligent you are. Really, language, as far as I'm concerned, is about so much more than that. And if you look at uh, human culture, if you look at literature, and if you look at religion, you can see that very clearly. So where do you think we need to be careful then? What do we need to be aware of? Um, well, I think we need to be aware of the fact that uh, the artificial intelligence models, although they're very powerful and very ingenious, that they are not really reproducing human intelligence. They're just reproducing a very small subset of human intelligence. Um, for example, if you ask, can AI produce um, uh, a, a being or an entity that can recreate the conditions for uh, religion, I would say no. But that, to me, is uh, as much or maybe even a more important part of human culture than simply uh, the communication of information. 
And as I say, if you look at the history of humanity and, and, and religion and myth, and especially literature, uh, these cultural forums, they, they understand that much, much more clearly. In what way? So what are some of the examples like in history where literature can point to this? Well, literature, you can't really understand literature without first understanding uh, religion, and and in particular, religious ritual, because what what ritual asks you to do is it responds to the question, how how should I act in this urgent ethical situation? So, I mean, one example I give is that if you look at hunter-gatherer tribes, when, you know, when a valuable resource such as meat is distributed, they're always very carefully prescribed attitudes towards how you distribute the meat, um, and it's a highly ritualized ceremonial occasion. And, of course, that's because in these circumstances, violence can always break out because the desire is so strong. And so ritual allows that violence and desire to be constrained and um, controlled appropriately. What what literature does is, I mean, obviously it doesn't work in in exactly the same fashion, but it invites you to put yourself into... Um, imaginatively into urgent ethical situations by identifying with particular characters. Now, my field of uh, specialty is Shakespeare, and Shakespeare's a master at this, right? He, drama is dependent upon conflict, and he puts his characters in very um, uh, urgent ethical circumstances, and we identify with these characters, but we, we also watch them, especially in the tragedies. We watch them make mistakes all the time. And in, in watching them make mistakes, we learn something about ourselves. For example, when you identify with a character like Hamlet, you initially uh, support the idea of his vengeance against his murderous uncle. But the more you engage with the drama, the more you see the problems in that vengeful impulse that Hamlet finds himself being sucked into. Hamlet doesn't really understand it himself. He thinks about it. But you, as an external observer, begin to question that impulse, that vengeful impulse. Is that something we forget? Do we forget that we're supposed to learn from these things and value them and not just argue with each other all the time? Uh, well, I think, I mean, I think there's a, how should I put this diplomatically? There is a kind <laughs> of uh, prejudice against uh, the humanities and against literature. Generally speaking, we privilege science because science is so obviously successful, but Science can only tell you so much, right? It can tell you a lot about the physical, chemical, and the biological world. But when it comes to understanding human meaning, it's much less successful. And um, we have this bias towards science because it has been so successful. That leads us to either ignore, suppress, or deny the ethical questions. And these ethical questions are are addressed by the humanistic fields. Right, but philosophy, literature, history. But we don't value them as much. Like you, you have some great examples that you said you're a Shakespeare specialist. I understand that too. But you use Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is a good example. Even the Iliad is a great example. Yeah, I mean, that one thing that struck me about all this talk of AI, and you know, we tend to anthropomorphize AI, and you hear technologists saying this. You know, soon the computers will be smarter than us, and then, of course, they're going to take over the world. But, I mean, this is, to me, when I hear this, I think, well, you know, this is a very old story, and it's been talked about for a long time. So Mary Shelley, for example, you know, considered to be one of the first authors of the science fiction novel, uh, (laughs) she had Victor Frankenstein, her protagonist, who was this chemistry student, 
create this being that ultimately could think for itself. But the story she tells is, of course, that this, this being that could think for itself came into conflict with its creator because it's the, the being, the monster, uh, saw that Victor had what he wanted. So it was competing for something that they both desired. And in, in other words, Victor denied to his monster what Victor himself had, which was a wife and the possibility of children and so on. And so the monster tried to take revenge and succeeded, uh, uh, take, took revenge on Victor and, and his family. So really the monster is a metaphor uh, uh, for human violence, right. which is why Victor calls, you know, calls his creation a monster. But we don't seem to learn from these lessons, Richard. No, unfortunately, we don't. And you know, um, today we, we we hear a lot on the internet about uh, you know conspiracy theories and extremism. But uh, you know, it's, as though these are new things, but they're not new. I mean, conspiracy theories and extremism has been around for as long as humans have been around creating their own traditions and cultures and histories. And, uh, you know, what's new, of course, is not the extremism and the violent tendencies, but the, uh, the information technologies through which these tendencies are spread. Right. And, you know, in other words, the digital revolution. Ah, the digit. We have so much to learn, and we just need to pay attention to the lessons that have already been there right in front of us. Richard, thank you so much for your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's Dr. Richard Van Oort, Professor of English Literature at the University of Victoria. Speaking of things to learn...